Epistle 73 of Epistles of Cyprian by Cyprian. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Epistle 73 to Pompey against the Epistle of Stephen about the baptism of heretics. Argument. The purport of this epistle is given in St. Augustine's Book 5, Contra Donatistas, Chapter 23. He says there, quote, Cyprian, moreover, writes to Pompey on the same subject when he plainly signifies that Stephen, who, as we learn, was then a bishop of the Roman Church, not only did not agree with him on those points, but even had written and charged in opposition to him, end quote. On which subject again, in chapter 25, quote, I will not now reconsider what he angrily uttered against Stephen, because there is no necessity for it. The very same things are indeed said which have already been sufficiently discussed, and it is better to pass by what suggested the risk of a mischievous dissension. Stephen, for his part, had thought that they who endeavored to annul the old custom about receiving heretics were to be excommunicated, but the other moved with the difficulty of that very question, and very largely endowed with a sacred charity, thought that unity might be maintained with them who thought differently. Thus, although there was a great deal of keenness, yet it was always in a spirit of brotherhood, and at length the peace of Christ conquered in their hearts, so that, in such a dispute, none of the mischief of schism arose between them. Thus for Augustine, whom we have quoted at length, because the passage is opposed to those who strive from this to assert his schism from the Roman pontiff. Cyprian, to his brother Pompeius, greeting. Although I have fully comprised what is to be said concerning the baptism of heretics in the letters of which I sent you copies, dearest brother, yet, since you have desired that what Stephen our brother replied to my letters should be brought to your knowledge. I have sent you a copy of his reply, on the reading of which you will more and more observe his error in endeavoring to maintain the cause of heretics against Christians and against the Church of God. For among other matters which were either haughtily assumed or were not pertaining to the matter or contradictory to his own view, which he unskillfully and without foresight wrote, he moreover added this saying, quote, If any one, therefore, come to you from any heresy whatever, let nothing be innovated which has not been handed down, to wit, that hands be imposed on him for repentance, since the heretics themselves, in their own proper character, do not baptize such as come to them from one another, but only admit them to communion. End quote. He forbade one coming from any heresy to be baptized in the church, that is, he judged the baptism of all heretics to be just and lawful. And although special heresies have special baptisms and different sins, he, holding communion with the baptism of all, gathered up the sins of all heaped together into his own bosom. And he charged that nothing should be innovated except what had been handed down, as if he were an innovator, who, holding the unity, 
claims for the one church, one baptism, and not manifestly he who, forgetful of unity, adopts the lies and the contagions of the profane washing. Let nothing be innovated, says he, except what has been handed down. Whence is that tradition? Whether does it descend from the authority of the Lord and of the gospel, or does it come from the commands and the epistles of the apostles? For that, those things which are written must be done. God witnesses and admonishes, saying to Joshua, the son of Nun, quote, The book of this law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate in it day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. End quote. Also, the Lord, sending his apostles, commands that the nation should be baptized and taught to observe all things which he commanded. If therefore it is either prescribed in the gospel or contained in the epistles or acts of the apostles that those who come from any heresy should not be baptized, but only hands laid upon them to repentance, let this divine and holy tradition be observed. But if everywhere heretics are called nothing else than adversaries and antichrists, if they are pronounced to be people to be avoided and to be perverted and condemned of their own selves, wherefore is it that they should not be thought worthy of being condemned by us, since it is evident from the apostolic testimony that they are of their own selves condemned? so that no one ought to defame the apostles as if they had approved of the baptism of heretics, or had communicated with them without the church's baptism, when they, the apostles, wrote such things of the heretics. And this, too, while as yet the more terrible plagues of heresy had not broken forth, while Marcion of Pontus had not yet emerged from Pontus, whose master, Serdon, came to Rome while Hyginus was still bishop, who was the ninth bishop in that city, whom Marcion followed, and with greater impudence, adding other enhancements to his crime, and more daringly set himself to blaspheme against God the Father, the Creator, and armed with sacrilegious arms the heretical madness that rebelled against the church with greater wickedness and determination. But if it is evident that subsequently heresies became more numerous and worse, and if, in time past, it was never at all prescribed nor written that only hands should be laid upon a heretic for repentance, and that so he might be communicated with, and if there is only one baptism which is with us and is within, and is granted of the divine condensation to the church alone, what obstinacy is that, or what presumption to prefer human tradition to divine ordinance, and not to observe that God is indignant and angry as often as human tradition relaxes and passes by the divine precepts, as he cries out and says by Isaiah the prophet, quote, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, but in vain do they worship me teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. End quote. Also, the Lord in the gospel, similarly rebuking and reproving, utters and says, quote, 
ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. End quote. Mindful of which precept the blessed Apostle Paul himself also warns and instructs, saying, quote, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to his doctrine, he is proud, knowing nothing from such, withdraw thyself. End quote. Certainly, an excellent and lawful tradition is set before us by the teaching of our brother Stephen, which may afford us a suitable authority. For in the same place of his epistle, he has added and continued, quote, Since those who are especially heretics do not baptize those who come to them from one another, but only receive them to communion, end quote. To this point of evil has the church of God and spouse of Christ been developed, that she follows the examples of heretics, that for the purpose of celebrating the celestial sacraments, light should borrow her discipline from darkness, and Christians should do that which antichrists do. But what is that blindness of soul? What is that degradation of faith to refuse to recognize the unity which comes from God the Father, and from the tradition of Jesus Christ the Lord and our God. For if the church is not with heretics, therefore, because it is one, and cannot be divided, and if thus the Holy Spirit is not there, because he is one, and cannot be among profane persons, and those who are without, certainly also baptism, which consists in the same unity, cannot be among heretics, because it can neither be separated from the church nor from the Holy Spirit. Or, if they attribute the effect of baptism to the majesty of the name, so that they who are baptized anywhere and anyhow in the name of Jesus Christ are judged to be renewed and sanctified, wherefore, in the name of the same Christ, are not hands laid upon the baptized persons among them for the reception of the Holy Spirit? Why does not the same majesty of the same name avail to the imposition of hands, which, they contend, availed in the sanctification of baptism? For if any one born out of the church can become God's temple, why cannot the Holy Spirit also be poured out upon the temple? For he who has been sanctified, his sins being put away in baptism, and has been spiritually reformed into a new man, has become fitted for receiving the Holy Spirit. Since the Apostle says, quote, As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. End quote. He who, having been baptized among the heretics, is able to put on Christ may much more receive the Holy Spirit whom Christ sent. Otherwise, he who is sent will be greater than him who sends, so that one baptized without may begin indeed to put on Christ, but not to be able to receive the Holy Spirit, as if Christ could either be put on without the Spirit, or the Spirit be separated from Christ. Moreover, it is silly to say that although the second birth is spiritual, by which we are born in Christ through the laver of regeneration, one may be born spiritually among the heretics, where they say that the Spirit is not. For water alone is not able to cleanse away sins, and to sanctify a man unless he have also the Holy Spirit. 
Wherefore, it is necessary that they should grant the Holy Spirit to be there, where they say that baptism is, or else that there is no baptism where the Holy Spirit is not, because there cannot be baptism without the Spirit. But what a thing it is to assert and contend that they who are not born in the church can be the sons of God, for the blessed apostle sets forth and proves that baptism is that wherein the old man dies and the new man is born, saying, quote, He saved us by the washing of regeneration. End quote. But if regeneration is in the washing, that is, in baptism, how can heresy, which is not the spouse of Christ, generate sons to God by Christ? For it is the church alone which, conjoined and united with Christ, spiritually bears sons, as the same apostle again says, quote, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it, cleansing it with the washing of water, end quote. If, then, she is the beloved and spouse who alone is sanctified by Christ and alone is cleansed by his washing, it is manifest that heresy, which is not the spouse of Christ, nor can be cleansed nor sanctified by his washing, cannot bear sons to God. But further, one is not born by the imposition of hands when he receives the Holy Ghost, but in baptism, that so, being already born, he may receive the Holy Spirit, even as it happened in the first man, Adam. For first God formed him, and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. For the Spirit cannot be received unless he who receives first have an existence. But as the birth of Christians is in baptism, while the generation and sanctification of baptism are with the spouse of Christ alone, who is able spiritually to conceive and to bear sons to God, where and of whom and to whom is he born, who is not a son of the church, so as that he should have God as his father before he has had the church for his mother. But as no heresy at all, and equally no schism, being without, can have the sanctification of saving baptism, why has the bitter obstinacy of our brother Stephen broken forth to such an extent as to contend that sons are born to God from the baptism of Marcion? Moreover, of Valentinus, and Apelles, and of others who blaspheme against God the Father, and who say that remission of sins is granted in the name of Jesus Christ, where blasphemy is uttered against the Father and against Christ the Lord God. In which place, dearest brother, we must consider, for the sake of the faith and the religion of the sacerdotal office which we discharge, whether the account can be satisfactory in the day of judgment for a priest of God who maintains and approves and acquiesces in the baptism of blasphemers when the Lord threatens and says, quote, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you, if ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord Almighty, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings, end quote. Does he give glory to God who communicates with the baptism of Marcion? 
Does he give glory to God who judges that remission of sins is granted among those who blaspheme against God? Does he give glory to God who affirms that sons are born to God without of an adulterer and a harlot? Does he give glory to God who does not hold the unity and truth that arise from the divine law but maintains heresies against the church? Does he give glory to God who, a friend of heretics and an enemy to Christians, thinks that the priests of God who support the truth of Christ and the unity of the church are to be excommunicated? If glory is thus given to God, if the fear and the discipline of God is thus preserved by his worshippers and his priests, let us cast away our arms, let us give ourselves up to captivity, let us deliver to the devil the ordination of the gospel, the appointment of Christ, the majesty of God, let the sacraments of the divine warfare be loosed, let the standards of the heavenly camp be betrayed, and let the church succumb and yield to heretics, light to darkness, faith to perfidy, hope to despair, reason to error, immortality to death, love to hatred, truth to falsehood, Christ to antichrist. Deservedly, thus do heresies and schisms arise day by day, more frequently and more fruitfully grow up, and with serpents' locks shoot forth and cast out against the church of God with greater force the poison of their venom, whilst by the advocacy of some both authority and support are afforded them, whilst their baptism is defended, whilst faith, whilst truth is betrayed, whilst that which is done without against the church is defended within in the very church itself. But if there be among us, most beloved brother, the fear of God, if the maintenance of the faith prevail, if we keep the precepts of Christ, if we guard the incorrupt and inviolate sanctity of his spouse, if the words of the Lord abide in our thoughts and hearts, he says, quote, Thinkest thou, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? End quote. Then, because we are God's faithful soldiers, who war for the faith and sincere religion of God, let us keep the camp entrusted to us by God with faithful valor. Nor ought custom, which had crept in among some, to prevent the truth from prevailing and conquering. For custom without truth is the antiquity of error. On which account, let us forsake the error and follow the truth, knowing that in Esdras also the truth conquers, as it is written, quote, Truth endureth, and grows strong to eternity, and lives and prevails for ever and ever. With her there is no accepting of persons or distinctions, but what is just she does. Nor in her judgments is there unrighteousness, but the strength and the kingdom and the majesty and the power of all ages. Blessed be the Lord God of truth. End quote. This truth Christ showed to us in his gospel, said, quote, I am the truth. End quote. Wherefore, if we are in Christ, and have Christ in us, if we abide in the truth, and the truth abides in us, let us keep fast those things which are true. But it happens by a love of presumption and of obstinacy that one would rather maintain his own evil and false position than agree in the right and true which belongs to another. Looking forward to which, the blessed apostle Paul writes to Timothy 
and warns him that a bishop must not be, quote, litigious, nor contentious, but gentle and teachable, end quote. Now he is teachable who is meek and gentle to the patience of learning, for it behooves a bishop not only to teach, but also to learn, because he also teaches better who daily increases and advances by learning better, which very thing, moreover, the same Apostle Paul teaches when he admonishes, quote, that if anything better be revealed to one sitting by, the first should hold his peace, end quote. But there is a brief way for religious and simple minds both to put away error and to find and to elicit truth. For if we return to the head and source of divine tradition, human error ceases, and having seen the reason of the heavenly sacraments, whatever lay hid in obscurity under the gloom and cloud of darkness is opened into the light of the truth. If a channel supplying water, which formerly flowed plentifully and freely, suddenly fail, do we not go to the fountain that there the reason of the failure may be ascertained? Whether from the drying up of the springs the water has failed at the fountainhead, or whether, flowing thence free and full, it has failed in the midst of its course. That so, if it has been caused by the fault of an interrupted or leaky channel, that the constant stream does not flow uninterruptedly and continuously, then the channel being repaired and strengthened, the water collected may be supplied for the use and drink of the city with the same fertility and plenty with which it issues from the spring. And this it behooves the priests of God to do now, if they would keep the divine precepts, that if, in any respect, the truth have wavered and vacillated, we should return to our Lord and origin in the evangelical and apostolical tradition, and thence may arise the ground of our action, whence has taken rise both our order and our origin. For it has been delivered to us that there is one God, and one Christ, and one hope, and one faith, and one church, and one baptism ordained only in the one church, from which unity whosoever will depart must needs be found with heretics, and while he upholds them against the church, he impugns the sacrament of the divine tradition, the sacrament of which unity we see expressed also in the canticles in the person of Christ, who says, quote, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a fountain sealed, a well of living water, a garden with the fruit of apples, end quote. But if his church is a garden enclosed and a fountain sealed, how can he who is not in the church enter into the same garden or drink from its fountain? Moreover, Peter himself, showing and vindicating the unity, has commanded and warned us that we cannot be saved except by the one only baptism of one church. Quote, in the ark, says he, of Noah, few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, as also baptism shall in like manner save you. End quote. And how short and spiritual a summary has he set forth the sacrament of unity? For as, in that baptism of the world in which its ancient iniquity was purged away, he who was not in the ark of Noah 
could not be saved by water, so neither can he appear to be saved by baptism who has not been baptized in the church, which is established in the unity of the Lord according to the sacrament of the one ark. Therefore, dearest brother, having explored and seen the truth, it is observed and held by us that all who are converted from any heresy whatever to the church must be baptized by the only and lawful baptism of the church, with the exception of those who had previously been baptized in the church and so had passed over to the heretics. For it behooves these, when they return, having repented, to be received by the imposition of hands only, and to be restored by the shepherd to the sheepfold, whence they had strayed. I bid you, dearest brother, ever heartily farewell. End of Epistle 73 of Cyprian Read by David Ronald